Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Olesa Pindak, Chief Content Officer here at MindBodyGreen. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Ria Mehta to the MindBodyGreen podcast. She's a molecular toxologist, integrative health coach, and the CEO and co-founder of Bowhead Health, a healthcare technology company. Ria struggled as a teenager when she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which later turned into fibromyalgia. While studying for her PhD in molecular toxicology and nutritional biochemistry at the University of Toronto, she began asking her doctors more questions and delving deeper into the science behind the Western diet and toxicity in the liver. Her own personal journey, combined with her research background, fueled her urge to work with other people and help them on their own personal health journeys. Through her website, Living Rhea, she works with clients to develop a wellness routine that supports their optimal health. Rhea is also the founder of Global Smoothie Day and the co-founder of an adult summer camp and digital detox, Camp Reset. Rhea, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So we know that you have your PhD in environmental toxicology, and we also know that like so many in the health and wellness industry, you have struggled with your own personal health issues. And I wonder if we can start there. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like to be working on studying for your PhD and at the same time, you know, dealing with your own health struggles and how those two things intersected? Yeah. Uh, so my health struggles um, began actually uh, much earlier on in my journey. So uh, during my teens, um, I was first diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, an autoimmune condition, which was later uh, re-diagnosed to fibromyalgia. So kind of like um, one of these issues that they kind of put into, you know, sort of a question mark category. That's what they do with a lot of different chronic diseases. And so you know, I lived with um, with d- this disease and um, with a few other complications for a number of years, and I was always just kind of managing. Um, and you know, when I got to my PhD and I started to experience these complications, you know, that's when I really started to um, ask a lot of deeper questions, and that was very much linked to the fact that you know I was like stepping into a role of an authority and I was challenging myself in deeper ways and uh, and was it, it dealing with the issues of chronic disease that made you interested in studying environmental toxicology to begin with in some ways I, I, I do want to say yes because I whenever I would go into the doctor's offices and you know try and like talk about my health issues I always felt like you know it was like they were the ones telling me what to do um, and I really didn't feel like I had, you know, an, any like authority to be really telling them like, no, actually, I think this might be the case. Like maybe, you know, I want to cut this out or explore this. I just didn't feel like I had that kind of power. Um, so, yeah. So maybe like, you know, unconsciously, I um, I felt like I needed to go down a path where I would, um, yeah, develop mainly the confidence to be able to you know, reject medicine, which is what I ended up doing, actually, you know, a couple years into my PhD when I had a uh, very severe back spasm that put me out for a week, and my supervisor threatened to stop paying me and my stipend, and he was just kind of like, you know, questioning why I wasn't showing up, and that's really when I, you know, it wasn't just me anymore, I was letting down my lab, I was letting down, you know, my community, um, my fellow, you know, my fellow uh, PhD candidates, and uh, and so it was also just really embarrassing, and that's really when I started to kind 
kind of take my matters into my own hand and start to ask new questions to my practitioners and um, and yeah and then from there you know a lot changed so what were your first steps when you decided that you wanted to take a different path I honestly just became vulnerable with my with my doctors and I at the time I had a rheumatologist I had a gastroenterologist um, who I was working with and I just honestly started to ask them questions versus just listen to them and tell them that you know I wasn't really feeling good about their protocol and again this is like you know I was I was starting to speak with confidence and they also knew very much you know that I was in academia so I think they were also taking me a little bit more seriously um, so yeah as soon as I started telling them that you know I wasn't interested in medicine um, and uh, and that I was experiencing a ton of side effects which were you know probably the result of my irritable bowel syndrome that I was then later diagnosed with um, they started giving me new information my gastroenterologist told me that he wrote a book which he had never even told me about before and it was on gut health um, and uh, that's when I discovered the microbiome and you know before he had never even mentioned that to me and he you know when he sent gave me this book and he didn't tell me much about it but when he gave me the book I learned about you know cutting out uh, dairy and lactose intolerance and you know gluten sensitivities and all kinds of things that you know this is a long time ago people really weren't talking about um, and similarly with my rheumatologist with my rheumatologist um, she said that you know I don't usually have athletes come in to my office and complain about back pain and chronic pain and you know she wasn't really giving me that much because she couldn't but again I was starting to get like little bits of information that you know I was able to piece together and go back into my you know my lab slash kitchen and home and start to really connect the dots and and you know and so that kind of inspired me to then you know just start to move my body and experience and go down a path of um, um, actual personal training um, while also cutting out certain triggers in my diet. And I mean, that just influenced the next, you know, 10 plus years. And I'm still on that journey now. What were the effects that you saw immediately? So I would say um, when I cut out dairy, that was a, a really like a, a giant uh, shift in my life. Um, so, you know, I cut out dairy and then I and then quickly realized that it was actually like I didn't actually cut out dairy. It was in everything that I was eating. It was like hidden in all kinds of products. And so, you know, um, so I thought I was cutting it out. But that's, you know, so I would say I would say the effects were, you know, dietary and physical, but they were also like very much linked to my mindset because I was just like starting to, you know, just become more discerning and then also develop a lot of clarity in terms of like, you know, my approach. So it was very like, you know, I was a scientist and I was like kind of taking that kind of very analytical approach and it was really exciting. Um, so I was just getting a lot of confidence and excitement and, um, and I was feeling quite optimistic, which I know played a very big role in, you know, my motivation to create these changes because it took, you know, it was almost like a full-time job and it became my full-time job, <laughs> you know. Um, but what the biggest change, I guess, I had, you know, I, I was so motivated and I was doing all kinds of reading and I was, you know, looking at science um, science-based stuff and also anecdotal stuff and I came across the master cleanse and you know I don't uh, well, I don't recommend that to you know my clients I was really inspired and also you know I felt as though I had um, a lot of um, damage in my body and I also accumulated a lot of environmental uh, toxins from uh, my upbringing from the you know from the medicine I was taking um, from you know water air from my up like from where I grew up I grew up in a rural community and so I really felt like you know, everything in my body just said, yes, do this cleanse. And so I did a 22 day master cleanse. And I would say that was very quick. Like I did that very quickly after, you know, developing a lot of these realizations around, you know, 
triggers and how they could impact the body. Um, and then during that cleanse, I would say everything changed for me. I just like, it was like, I just needed to connect my mind and my body. And then like all the ideas just started to come to mind. You know, I had like also, um, like a lot of creativity coming through me as well. So, um, so yeah, I would say the cleanse was definitely, you know, the, like the pivotal moment, uh, in my healing journey. Because you took such a science-based approach to this, I'm so curious about where you thought that the research was then, where you think it is now, if you were doing things that you felt like were very science-backed, or if you were doing things that you thought, well, someone tried this and I'm, you know, at a state where I'm willing to try anything and I'm going to give it a go, and um, and what you think the progress of that research has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back then it was very anecdotal what I was doing. I mean, there were there were studies but they were like studies on animals or, you know, they were very small, small sample sizes. So it wasn't something that I felt comfortable actually like sharing with the world. So I was very much taking, you know, a community-based approach. I was, you know, not talking about science as much. I was, um, you know, and I, and I was kind of letting people know in my community that, you know, we're, I'm, I'm experimenting with you, like we're doing this together um, because I also wanted to protect myself because uh, I was still studying and I, you know, I was already seen as like the odd one out in my department. I was, you know, getting my PhD in pharmaceutical sciences. But now today, oh, there's so much research. And, you know, back then there just wasn't enough funding um, towards even, even in my lab and now, you know, because of how much wellness is trending, there is so much more funding and interest in this space. And it doesn't have to be people just doing experiments in their, you know, in their kitchen at home. Um, so, yeah, we've come a long way, you know, especially with like time restricted feeding, like intermittent fasting. There's so much research backing that now that I can speak to it, you know, with a lot of confidence. And I can speak to it with my scientist hat on as well as my you know, nutritionist wellness hat on. So that feels really good. Um, there are a lot more, you know, wellness leaders in the space. Um, and uh, and medical doctors and also with the emergence of functional medicine. I think that's brought a lot of attention to this world as well and confidence um, and accreditation to this space. But, you know, I, I still think we definitely still have a long way to go, but I'm very happy with where we're at. And that's why I'm considering making a move back into wellness full time, just because I actually feel like I can, you know, I can be in this world and speak to it as a scientist as well. When did you start talking to other people? When did you start working with other people and trying to help them on their own personal health journeys? Mm -hmm. So my movement into this world um, happened very organically. And it's funny, it's, uh, it's very much linked to Mind Body Green because it's, it's linked to an article I wrote. Um, I became a contributor, I think, in 2012 or 13, and mm -hmm. I wrote this article and I linked a Facebook group in that article. Um, so basically what I did was I, you know, was very honest with my community and my community was interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm a bridge. I'm, I didn't start out in the holistic world. I started out in science. And so I knew that there was a big opportunity there, but I needed to be very strategic in terms of how I connected with that community. Um, and I knew that, you know, because of my authority in the space, like I would already have a lot of fans and supporters. And so I started a, um, a Facebook group and um, I, you know, I called it like Dr. Rhea's Community Cleanse. And I basically created a 10 day juicing protocol and I invited people to just learn and explore with me. So it was very much like I am a participant. Yes, I'm also an authority, but I also invited others to come in to also share their expertise. So it just became a giant community. So that's kind of how I started in the space. And, and then I tested things out, you know, I tested out, I, you know, how much 
watched, I could share when I got too sciencey, you know, I'd lose people if I got, if I was too hippie, I would lose people. So I just kind of like played around with that. Um, and, uh, and then through there, you know, I started to naturally attract clients. So people started asking me if I worked, you know, one-on-one and back then I wasn't doing one-on-one stuff. I was still very much, you know, doing, um, like, I guess business and, and science related stuff and, and wellness on the side, I was still hosting, you know, um, retreats on the weekends and lunch and learns and teaching people how to make like raw food and stuff, but I wasn't really fully in that space as yet. So, so through that community that I formed, I think there's like 10,000 people now in that community. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I developed the confidence to then just go and like start doing this one-on-one and yeah, it's, um, I just, I realized that, that through that process that, you know, people are already drawn to me because I have this PhD. And so how can I, you know, leverage that PhD, but then welcome them, you know, with ease and and joy and curiosity into the world of wellness. And now there are, you work with so many different kinds of people and they're coming to you with all kinds of different health conditions, a lot of them quite serious. But I imagine that there probably are some common things that you start everybody out with that with, that you tell everybody, whether it's um, basic nutrition advice or environmental advice. I'm curious about what are the top three things that you tell every single person that you work with? Um, What are the three ways that people should begin to evaluate the way that they're living their lives? Yeah, it's a good question uh, because, you know, my approach is incredibly personalized. But the, the one thing that I like to tell people, I mean, I think that we, we all know this. And, you know, I, and I think that actually Dr. Mark Hyman, he talks about this a lot. And so I often refer them to him because he has this blog post on the exit routes, like poo, pee, sweat, breathe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I often tell them, you know, like, yes, you know, let's work on X, Y, and Z. But like, you know, how are you pooing? How are you peeing? How are you breathing? How are you sweating? Or how much are you sweating? You know, how often are you breathing? How many glasses of water are you having? How, what's your sleep quality like? And I tell people, like, once you optimize these, like, you might actually feel better. You might not want to see me anymore. <laughs> you know, and, if, and if, if you still have questions, come back to me, you know. But often they're, you know, they're kind of in that category of things that we do every single day. So I kind of bring them back to their daily routine. And we talk a lot about that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so there's like, I'm not even really talking about food at this point. I'm just talking about like habits and repetition and, uh, and, you know. And what are the habits that you encourage everyone to develop? Again, it's, it's very, it's very dependent on, on the human <laughs> that I'm working with. Um, and also the gender. I think it's, um, it's, it's important to mention that, but I like to get people just into a routine. So I try and get people to have like, I call it a sun ceremony in the morning. So have time for themselves, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, two hours, whatever they can offer their, you know, themselves during the week or weekend. I start the day, you know, with a level of self-awareness and presence and groundedness. So there's a few things there that I will, you know, that I'll suggest for them to do. And again, I don't tell them, I give them suggestions and I let them kind of experiment because it's super important, right? To allow them to feel like they're choosing versus me telling them what to do and again in the evening I you know I promote or I encourage them to have a moon ceremony again I make suggestions it's usually evening is usually around reflections or you know having a certain tea and then you know lighting a candle and thinking about you know their day and and just like reflecting on their symptoms or whatever it is that they're experiencing so I don't really like to tell them what to do but I do tell them you know about the about optimal sleep time I tell them about optimal you know um glasses of water to drink in the day. And, you know, I tell them... And those are? You know, sleep anywhere between 
six and eight hours and you know people can go to bed at around 11 o'clock if possible you know I think again it's like if they have sleep issues if they're fighting with these issues and I might you know might be harder to bring them down to 11 if they're like night owls and also just like trying to convince them that that's a story and to you know and again so a lot of these shares that I'm offering them are you know very much in the like mindset space so getting them to like recreate stories um, create their own mantras as well so you know having these like sticky notes everywhere reminding them of you know that that they have the ability to kind of retrain or reprogram their mind um, water you know we we hear eight glasses we know that you know that could be linked to obviously your body weight and, and your size um so I still kind of again I try not to give them too much too soon so I might just tell them you know try and have like eight glasses of water and then I try to you know get them to understand that water could be like tea or you know a smoothie so it's not like they have to have exactly eight glasses of water but I do in this self-care tracker that I get them to fill out generally right at the beginning. So it's a journal that kind of has all of these habits um, embedded in them. So they are writing down the glasses of water. So again, it's like, I'm not, I'm telling them what's optimal. They don't have to get it right away, but they can see very quickly what their patterns are. And, you know, if they're only able to have, if, if they're only drinking four glasses of water and they're, you know, having very hard poo or stool, you know, then it's like, it's very easy for me to say, well, look, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's talk about optimizing this. So that's, what I would generally share. And then what about it when, it when it comes to nutrition? So with nutrition, I mean, it's very much like nutrient based. So I like to get people to a point where they can really see through their food and whether looking at the macronutrients and the micronutrients and, you know, they're actually able to say like, okay, that meal there is giving me, you know, these B vitamins, you know, th these, these minerals. And so that's sort of like my overall intention. And so, you know, it's a lot of education and it's a lot of going back to simplicity and diversity, but really just like going back to simplicity because a lot of people will, you know, report like digestive issues are, you know, I think one of the main issues that people come to me with. And it's like, you know, a lot of problems plus digestive issues. And so often it's to really pinpoint what the triggers are, we have to go simple. Mm -hmm. I'm very big on colors and diversity. And I'm also, you know, a huge advocate of uh, green smoothie, mainly just as a way to, you know, eat, like ease the tension or the pressure on the digestive system. Mm -hmm. And also as a way to like bring in a bunch of other medicinal products and ingredients into the body um, without having to use a pill. You know, I, I, I do like supplements. I do support the use of supplements, but if we can get it through food form, um, and uh, I think it's just like also easier for people to connect with, you know, with that from a spiritual perspective, if they're, if they're kind of like making it and bringing it into their, into their lifestyle. And then what about supplements? What are supplements that you tend to recommend for people? What are ones um, that you think most people should be taking or are the are the top ones that you talk to people about yeah and and just to mention that a lot of my clients are plant-based and if they're not when they start working with me they end up coming becoming a little bit more plant-based so again I don't promote veganism um, but I you know I do kind of just share truths with them and uh, and so a lot of the supplements that I would recommend are also you know supplements that are often recommended for people who are practicing you know a plant-based diet um, so you know algal-based omega-3, um, you know, activated B-complex or, you know, B12, um, zinc. Um, I really am a big fan of chlorella um, and, uh, or spirulina. And, um, and so often I'll, you know, I'll, I'll encourage people to use that, whether, you know, 
whatever diet they have. I think that's just like, I think that everyone could, could benefit from using a very high quality uh, chlorella or spirulina. Um, you know, if they're obviously working on their brain, I'm a huge fan of uh, rhodiola or lion's mane. So again, often what I'll do is I'll tell them which supplements have a strong research behind it. And then I'll also tell them, you know, which ones are, you know, like have been used for, say, like millennia mm-hmm. in India or China, um, like ashwagandha and shatavari and some of these other superfoods that, uh, you know, that I do also support. So I'll often kind of give them like all, all the options and I'll also send them to, you know, various websites that where they can also do their own reading and research. Which other ones? Um, Omega B12 um, or B complex, vitamin C, magnesium. I'm a really big fan of magnesium uh, because you know 40% of the population in the U.S. is uh, is low magnesium, and uh, you know it is involved in so many processes in the body. And often people do have issues with with constipation more often than diarrhea magnesium is like also just very safe at high doses and um, even even medical doctors will recommend it and it's you know it is it's considered a stool softener so often that's one that um that i recommend and also i use it and i've been a a magnesium user for the last decade (laughs) and a very proud magnesium user um, and then vitamin D3, I mean, you know, living in the Northern Hemisphere, that's a really important one. Um, and people often forget to take D3 or D3 and K2, mm-hmm. uh, which are both, you know, very important in uh, bone formation. And again, especially if people are following a plant-based diet um, for the K2. And so, you know, those are probably the main ones. And then a few others would show up, um, you know, if if people have, again, specific issues or if they're vegan, um, then they, you know, they might also want to look at iron um, and if you're a woman you know then iron is another big one but some of these I do recommend people getting tested first before you know jumping into especially iron or any kind of um, um, metal and now we've talked about sleep and water and nutrients and supplements and a lot of these are so foundational but one thing we haven't talked about yet is your actual physical environment and of course given your background this is something that you know a lot about I'm so curious to talk to you about what your physical space can do and what the effect that it can have on your health is mostly from a negative perspective Um, what are the things that you find that people are dealing with in their homes um, that may not be allowing them to live optimally. It's a great question, and it's because it's you know it's often so hard to see um, some of these some of these toxins uh, and triggers in the environment. Um, so you know I tend to bring in kind of like the home care, beauty care topic much later in my journey of working with my clients because it can often you know cost a little bit of money to replace certain products and things like that in the house. But, you know, there there are a number of concerns when using, you know, like just cleaning agents, surface cleaners, kitchen cleaners, dishwasher, you know, soaps, uh, laundry detergent. Um, So all of these types of, you know, chemicals, we don't really think about the impact of, you know, washing our clothes with a mainstream laundry detergent and the fact that like that's getting absorbed in our skin we're putting those clothes in our body same thing with our plates and and cutlery um if they're you know burning um they're burning incense in the home if they're burning candles in the home you know the smoke associated with that if they're lighting anything you know all of these are bringing chemicals into the home um people often don't think about mold um that's one that actually can be associated with um, adrenal fatigue and, you know, buying mattresses and the, you know, the off gas from the factories. That's another common trigger of, um, of hormone dysfunction. So there's like a lot of these chemicals in the air, you know, again, makeup, 
is another one. All the products when it comes to beauty. And, you know, we don't really think about it. Perfume is another one. Cologne. And then, of course, if you're living in the city, if you're living near a highway, you're now also subjected to those pollutants. Um, if you're coming and walking in the, your home with shoes, which I'm surprised a lot of people do. Same thing with your purses. We don't think about how much uh, dirt and pollutants and germs our purses carry. So, um, and, you know, we come home, we put them on our couch, and then we lay down, and, um, and then, you know, we, our hands are on them, and we put our hands in our eyes and our mouths. And so um, pets, obviously, another one. So there's just so many of these potential chemicals that we're bringing in the home. And, um, and so in terms of products, like, you know, there's, I really am a big supporter of uh, air filters and humidifiers and dehumidifiers and essential oil diffusers and even just using essential oils in the home on the body. And uh, there's so and having plants around, you know, that are known to trap these, you know, volatile um, particles in the air. So it sounds like there's so many things in our home environment that could potentially be affecting our health. But short of going through and analyzing every single product that's in your home and really, you know, trying to sweep every single thing. If you had to pick top three things, if you could change three things about every single person's home, if there were going to be, um, what are the three things that are going to have the biggest impact on reducing your chemical load? What would those be? Mm. I would definitely, I mean, I think that everyone should be like at least breathing in fresh air. Often we're breathing in recycled air. So, you know, having the windows open and um, swap the laundry detergent for something clean and swap the kitchen products um, Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, with something clean for sure. And, um, you know, I guess that the third is like a toss up between the air filter or like an air filtering plant or an essential oil diffuser. You know, then you can play around with a number of different essential oils, and there are so many different essential oils with many different benefits. So you can, you know, you can have some that are like more cleansing, um, that are you know that have antibacterial properties that are also more energizing. So yeah, I would say those are the main suggestions I would make. You mentioned air purifiers. Um, I know that this is an expensive purchase um, and not one that is often taken lightly, but I'm curious about who you recommend have one when you recommend really trying to invest in that kind of a big purchase. Yeah, um, I think, you know, anytime you have somebody in the home that's potentially vulnerable, so if you have a child or an elder, I think it's a good idea or someone who's sick. Um, I think then it's just like a non-negotiable. Um, you you know, in that you don't have to have the air filters throughout the whole home. You can have them in the bedrooms. You can have them in the areas where they spend the most time. But I would say, you know, if you have a recurring health problem that you just can't seem to figure out, um, generally hormonal. But again, you might not even know it's hormonal. If you're having, you know, fatigue issues, if you're having, you know, stress or issues with your emotional health, um, headaches. Um, you know, even skin issues, just, you know, if you have a lot of question marks when it comes to your health, then you, you know, you might do uh, quite well from just getting a filter and seeing if, you know, if, if that's helpful. And I mean, the same goes for getting a, you know, a water filter and a shower filter. So I know that's, that's separate. We're talking about water, but I often, you know, often I'll make that recommendation to clients, especially if they have, you know, skin issues and there are other, other issues that could also be the result of the water supply. So we often think about the water that we're drinking, but we don't think about the water that we're, you know, we're, we're putting onto our bodies um, that's getting absorbed directly through the skin. And what are your recommendations for testing and then filtering water? Well, I mean, there are some, you know, there are some great filters out there. 
there's everything from like Brita, I would say that's sort of, you know, what we traditionally know as sort of the base water filter. And there's some really, you know, um, fancy ones that will actually show you, you know, exactly what they're filtering and if it's like lead and chlorine and fluoride. So I would say, um, Testing is a little bit, you know, more challenging. Again, you can, you know, you can call. There, there are people you can call who can help you if that's something that you're worried about. So if you're in a neighborhood that's in danger, generally you will receive notice um, if you have, you know, very old pipes. Um, so I think that, you know, that should be hopefully your community's responsibility or your township or your neighborhood's responsibility to let you know if you're if you are a homeowner. But I think that we can all we can all do from just, you know, getting it using a filter and. You know, the some of the really great ones that filter, you know, everything um, are very expensive. So I would say, you know, start with just filtering and then just like feel the difference. Like just, you know, again, start to track little little shifts. And, you know, and then if you feel like you're, you know, deserve, like deserving of something <laughs> better then you know, then, you, then upgrade to that. One of the things that you personally have dealt with is your father and his diagnosis of cancer. Um, and you said that that really affected even further your health journey in the way that you work with clients. And I'm so curious if you can talk a bit about that and how that experience really furthered and changed um, the way that you think about health. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot that I learned from my father's illness. Um, you know, I think that he was diagnosed with a preventable cancer. And so, you know, that, that really did push me into, you know, further becoming like a, an, an advocate for prevention uh, because, you know, we, we all know that it becomes a lot harder to treat um, when you, you know, when you develop chronic disease and when it's late stage. So I think it just pushed me to become more of, you know, an activist in this space. Um, but it also made me think a lot about, you know, just monitoring and and making sure that we're asking our loved ones questions and checking in. So it just made me think about, you know, community and how much we can gain and how much we can actually help people just by checking in. And, and also, you know, like my father was taking medication um, for quite a few different issues, um, but no one was really tracking how much he was taking and thinking about compliance and adherence. And so I started to think a lot more about compliance and adherence and how to help people better track and just, you know, a lot of that um, along with data um, kind of influenced my latest project. There's so much data that's available, and unless we're sharing it, it's just it's so hard to be able to access at a time of decision. Um, so if someone gets diagnosed with something, you know, and uh, even some like someone like me gets diagnosed with something, and you know, I'm tracking everything um, that I'm doing. But if I'm not sharing that with someone, then at the time of you know a diagnosis, it's very difficult to be able to capture all that information really quickly before you start a protocol, which could be chemotherapy. So, you know, that just really pushed me to start thinking about data, data portability, how we move it, how we capture it, where it's all organized, why, why, you know, as humans, can't we have, like, why can't I have my own data wallet that has all my sleep information, my food information, you know, how much, like, everything that I'm tracking, my heart rate variability, like, so that if, you know, if I do get sick, I can say, okay, look, here's all this information, what do you think I should do? Should I go on a detox before I go on, you know, I go on this, like, five-month chemotherapy journey? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I think that's really how it kind of influenced me. And um, so in, in, in many different ways, yeah. 
And let's talk about data for a second. We do have more of it than ever, pretty much at our fingertips. Our wrists are buzzing when we've hit, when we've hit 10,000 steps and we're tracking so much more than ever before. And they're all, it seems like they're sometimes housed in one place, but they're often in a lot of different places and many different apps. Um, what is your vision for the future in terms of what you think can be done with all of this data that we're collecting? Yeah, yeah. Um I think we're closer to this this vision that I have and it really is just you know having this like digital version of us so like this you know this this digital version of Ria with um, this this character that I can see you know when I log on through a secure platform so it's only available to me you know and not to anybody else unless I give them my consent but just you know all my information analyzed and feeding back you know exactly what my personal protocol is we deserve that information just given how much data we're capturing and we're generating um, so I think a constantly updating personalized protocol you know according to the data that we're generating and then a very easy way to share that so if I could share that with my community I can share that as a way to inspire them I can share that with my practitioners you know if I travel to Tokyo I could take the data with me um, so that you're not filling out forms again, because a lot of these, you know, are pain points for people. And so if, if we travel, we should be able to take that data with us and offer that to, you know, whatever practitioner we're, you know, we're seeing. And if we leave, we should be able to, you know, expire that sharing. So again, everything comes with us. So it's like our purse, our wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's my vision. It's like a global interoperable health data, you know, system that compiles health, wellness, and lifestyle data, because it's all very important. We know, you know, we know the importance of medical data. Um, we know the importance of health and wellness and lifestyle data. Some of us do. And doctors, medical doctors are starting to. Um, but if it's not available to them, then they, you know, they might not be able to make use of it. So in your view, what are the most important things that we should be tracking right now, knowing that we may not be quite there yet where we have all of this at our fingertips, but if we want to be aware of all of this and if we want to be sort of tracking it on our own um, for now or paying attention to things, what are the key markers that you think are important to pay attention to? I, I would say just to get in the habit of tracking, like we talked about sleep and, and hydration and energy and um, you know, and, and digestion and your and your excretion, you know, your stool, your bowel movements. These are all things that you could be tracking again because they're just going to help you become more self and health aware. Mm-hmm. I think it's just getting in the habit of tracking simple things that you really understand because alone, that alone, you're gonna, you know, like tracking, you know, how many minutes you meditated for the day, or if you know if you've if you've been breathing. And there's ways like there's you know there's there are apps now that will allow you to start breathing into them and start tracking um, your you know your your breath and actually feedback information just on your breath quality. Mm-hmm. And then you know if you do have the ability to track um, and do kind of more invasive tests, you know I think it's a good idea to get your genetic test. Uh, your, your, you know, your genome tested. Um, I think that's, you know, incredibly valuable. Um, I think it's good to have your, uh, your hormones tested and up to date. And we're not, you know, we're, we're not used to doing these things. So, you know, your certain nutrients, vitamin D, um, your iron, you know, your B12. Um, when I say hormones, your, you know, your thyroid, um, and like, you know, we should all know what our levels are. If I say to you, you know, how is your, how are your sex hormones? I would expect someone to say, well, this is, you know, these are my levels and this is what they were, you know, five months ago. And this is where I'm at today. And, you know, and like, that's what, how we should be talking mm-hmm. about some of these key, um, markers in, you know, in the body. 
You started something called Reset, which you say is a summer camp for adults. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you think the importance of um, having that time to yourself is? Yeah. Um, so I started uh, Reset with seven other uh, people, and uh, we uh, we started that because we were looking one for we were looking for more community. We know that uh, loneliness is a disease now, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem, and it's very much tied to technology and how much time we spend on our phones and looking for validation through likes and things like that. So we thought, you know, what if we create an event that's, you know, based on um, like actually a digital detox where people, you know, have to check in their tech. Like they have to separate themselves from their cell phone and we can give them whole new identities. We can tell them, you know, to make up their own names and we can tell them not to talk about work. You know, what would, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, And so our hypothesis was, you know, what if we bring in elements of play and silliness to help people, you know, actually just go back and connect with their inner child, like not take themselves so seriously, especially if they're coming with a whole new identity. You know, my, um, my camp name is Meta and M-E-T-T-A, which is, you know, loving kindness. Um, you know, some of our other co-founders, Black Panther, Chili, Duck Hunt, you know, they have really silly and fun names. And so if you can come up with a silly name, well, then you can just take on a whole new identity. You don't have to be the CEO of whatever or, you know, Whatever it is that you, you know, how you spend your day to day, you can just be whatever you want to be. And, you know, like explore what it means to get dirty again, you know, Um, like roll in the mud, like just play games, um, take chances again, do do firsts. We often get so caught up in our day to day that we forget to do things for the first time again, you know, whether it's like stand up or so we created kind of a platform for people to just test things out and then to, you know, to like cheer each other on because we created this sort of it was like summer camp so it was meant to be like you know very much like you would be in high school and you would have your camp counselors and you know and you you do sing-alongs and so um yeah it was uh it's funny I, I you know I came in as a leader and I actually you know grew younger and even to this day that's one of my roles in my community I remind people to be silly again I travel with my frisbee and mm-hmm. I skip and I jump on rocks and I do all kinds of things and I and actually like that was something that um that that reset offered me so it actually like you know it transformed every single one of uh, the attendees including the the co-founders which is really cool mm-hmm. that's really fun makes me want to mm-hmm. pack a frisbee um you also founded something that you call the global smoothie day i have to ask you what is your favorite smoothie recipe Oof, it's a it's a very very green a very green one i would expect so <laughs> <laughs> um so the point behind global smoothie day was just to Again, bring in more play into the world of wellness and to kind of anchor on this on this idea of a smoothie, but also to share a formula because we know that smoothies can be healthy. And we also know that smoothies can be like very decadent and indulgent and full of sugar. And so it was to offer a formula that people could follow. So which is like 60 to 80 percent greens, 20 to 40 percent fruit and then 20 percent everything else, whether it's, you know, healthy fats or proteins or superfoods, um, you know, in a base of water. So kind of reminding people that they don't have to use juice or milk. And then, you know, and then offering a number of like options, again, not forcing people to use certain things, but, you know, offering all the different greens, you know, how to make it more decadent using avocado and, you know, certain key greens like celery and, and cucumber. And if you wanted to make it more detoxifying, you know, cilantro and parsley and um, really kind of 
promoting some um, lower glycemic fruits, um, you know, so berries or green apples. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have like hundreds of recipes that are my favorite, but I guess my like day-to-day, like my go-to would be a mix of some dark leafy greens, like always rotated. And then, you know, celery and cucumber are staples. Avocado is a staple. There'll always be mint in there. Actually, I really like the addition of mint. It's great for digestion. I don't use fruit that often, but I will, I mean, I'll throw in berries, frozen berries. Then it'll be a little cooler. I love to use um, a fermented vegan protein powder. So because I am plant-based, so I am, you know, I am mindful of my protein intake, um, I'll always add like a healthy fat besides the avocado, so like a flax or a chia to bring in um, you know, soluble and insoluble fiber, um, so food for the gut. And then I'll play around with different superfoods. So I really like to add chlorella in there. Um, And then a superfood that's kind of a balancer or a a relaxing agent like a rhodiola or an ashwagandha or shatavari. So whatever I have in my kitchen, maca, um, they all kind of fit in that category. But I would say that's sort of of my staple and it's in a base of water. And um, yeah, having one every day for at least a decade. (laughs) Sounds power packed. Um, Definitely. (laughs) What gets you excited in the morning other than your smoothie? Uh, Just another opportunity to, you know, to breathe and to be and to live, you know, live my best life. I'm very passionate about all that I do and I don't separate work from from life. It's all it's all one and the same. So just having another opportunity to create a difference in this world. I do on a daily basis think about all the problems in this planet. A lot of people have an approach of like distancing themselves from news and um, I actually look forward to reading about everything that's happening and informing myself um, and then channeling that into, you know, what can I do today to make things better and what can I do, you know, how can I be a better human? So yeah, that's that's how I wake up every day. What keeps you up at night? Some of the big themes in my life are around equality and racial justice and women's rights. So, you know, I think about those all the time um, and uh, I talk about them as much as I can. You know, sometimes they keep me up. Obviously, I'm always thinking about uh, the climate as well and our, you know, and our, and our crisis. There are a lot of issues, you know, the, uh, the refugee crisis. Um, I think about that a lot. My father was a refugee as well and, I, and I, do, um, I do work in the refugee community as well as a volunteer. So I think about that a lot. Um, but really, it goes back to, you know, equality, racial justice, um, and kind of that intersection of racial justice and women's rights. What advice would you give to your 20-something self? The advice I would give to my 20-something self uh, would be um, ask, ask for help. Ask for help as much as you can um, with clarity. You know, know what you're asking for help for and start to really call in um, mentors. Uh, like really, I, I would want to push myself to understand that mentors are are going to be my allies in helping me achieve all of my dreams and solve all the big problems I want to solve. So I really push my 20-year-old self to just like find those people, kind of build my personal advisory board. Thank you so much for being here, Rio. Thanks so much for having me. Mm